good morning, everybody. You can go ahead and have a seat. And while you guys are doing that, if you could look over to my right, your left, you're going to see the other side of our little runway when we walk in here, okay? It says, meet Jesus, know Jesus, make the world better and brighter in Jesus' name. And the reason I'm drawing your attention to that is because this series we're in, Philippians Masterclass, is all about helping us know Jesus. One of the best ways to know Jesus is through scripture. The other best way is through prayer. And so we've just been walking through the book of Philippians, talking about, okay, what does it look like to live this out in our lives? What does it look like to take scripture to better understand who Jesus is and then to live it out in our life? And so that's what we're going to be doing today. So first, let me say thank you guys for everybody that's watching online, especially if you still are in Chicago. Uh, Cody's friend, let me say hi to you guys. Everybody at our outdoor venue, let me say uh, welcome. And we're going to dive in because what we're looking at today, the, part of, the passage of scripture we're looking at today is something that comes up in literally, not, I'm not saying this figuratively, literally every church that has ever existed in the history of Christendom, okay? The passage of scripture we're looking at is something that comes up all of the time in the life of a church. And so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app, you can do that. It's going to be on the screen if you don't. But starting here in verse 1, we're going to take a look at one of the most important things we could ever look at in scripture. All right, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is the passage that Matt just read uh, during communion. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Keep going, we're almost done. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Boom. All right, let's, what is... Why is this so important? I told you that this is one of the most important passages. I told you that this had to do for every single church in America, in the world, and throughout all of history. Why is this so important? Okay, let's go back a little bit and remember, this is the church at Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. A letter to the church at Philippi, we call it Philippians. Let's go back to Acts chapter 16 and remember how this church got started, okay? In Acts chapter 16... Paul goes to the city of Philippi, and he starts a church. And there are three people, or three households that it gets started by. He first meets this woman named Lydia, who is, it says she's a dealer in purple cloth, which means, like, did you guys ever see The Devil, Wolf, De the Devil Wears Prada? Okay, 
Think of the Glenn Close woman, but make her nice. To be a dealer in purple meant that you were like a fashionista. She was probably very wealthy because the only people that could wear purple were either royalty or high-ranking officials. So the first person that starts the Philippian church is this woman named Lydia and her household. Wealthy fashionista. The other person that helps starts this church in Philippi is the Philippian jailer who was watching Paul while he was in prison. A miracle happens. The guy's like, oh man, what am I supposed to do here? The prisoners have escaped. I'm going to die. I'm going to be held responsible. Paul's like, no, no, no. Trust me. Follow me. It'll be good. So the second guy is like a middle-class prison guard, okay? The third person that helped start the church at Philippi was a demon-possessed girl who was in slavery and was being, like, they were using her power to be able to read the future to make money off of her, okay? The three people that start the church in Philippi, girl recently freed from slavery, middle-class dude in his family, works at a prison, and then a very wealthy woman who's in the fashion industry. Normally, if this were happening today, the three of these people would not go to the same church. Not because they're not allowed to, but they just have wildly different backgrounds. But in Philippi, there wasn't a lot of other churches to choose from. There was one, okay, and they were it. And so, after a little bit of time, the honeymoon fades, okay? The, 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 the initial moment of like, man, we're in this together, we love this, this is awesome, look what God has done, that fades over time. And what we find out through the letter to the church at Philippi in the book of Philippians is that they're starting to get a little irritated with each other. They're starting to have a few little disagreements. And this makes sense when you think about it. I mean, like, the girl that's recently freed from slavery, she's like, you know, I think we should be more charismatic, to be totally honest. You know, like, I, I used to predict the future. This seems kind of low-key to me, what we're doing here. The, uh, the, the guy that was the prison guard, he's like, you know what, I want a church that's got strong men's ministry. I want to see a church, you know, that probably does some prison outreach, doing something like that. Lydia is probably like, you know what, guys, we need to do a women's retreat on the Italian coast. I've, I've got, I'll bankroll it. Let's just do that. You know, let's, let's have some sun. Let's do some prayer time together. You know, it would, make, it would make a lot of sense that these people don't get along. And the funny thing is, though, is what you realize, the more you read the New Testament, the more you realize that this seems to happen all the time. For example, it happened in the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Colossae, the church in Philippi, which we're reading. Let me show you how some of it played in some of the other churches. Let's talk about the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verse 10, Paul's writing to them. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters... Some from Chloe's household, this is a person that goes to the church in Corinth, some from Chloe's household inform me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you say, I follow Paul. Another, well, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? See, in Corinth, the division wasn't so much socioeconomic. It was, who's your favorite preacher? Who's the guy that you really like to bring the word? You know, some of them are like, hey, you know, like Cephas, I mean, that's Peter. That, that's the OG. He walked with Jesus. It doesn't get more real than Peter. And he was a fisherman, so he keeps it pretty real. You know, Apollos is just brilliant. 
that guy, like, he takes the scripture and, like, man, it just makes it come alive. And I feel, I walk out the door feeling smarter when Apollos is here. And someone's like, hey, Paul started all this. And he's kind of smart, too. And so in Corinth, the division was, who do you like? And they started to divide and, 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 and to fight over, well, man, I really like to listen to this guy, and he's the best. And instead of being like, wow, we get to listen to three awesome people that have each informed us and helped us, they start breaking into camps. In Galatians, this is what Paul had to write to them. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. At the church in Galatia, they started having fights and quarrels about, like, how, like, okay, can you be both a Jesus follower and still be Jewish? Do you still have to keep it all? Like, what is this? And they started to rank people based on ethnic background. In Colossians, this is what Paul had to write to them. It's starting to get very similar. In fact, Paul's starting to use some of the exact same words. He's, he's writing so many letters at this point. He's like, guys, let's, let's figure this out. In Colossians, he says, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Guys, once again, forget what your background was. He's not saying that there's no longer any men or any women. He's saying, like, you know, he's not like saying your, your ethnic background no longer matters. He's saying, stop using that as the reason why you don't get along. Ephesians chapter 4, this is another letter that he writes. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Once again, over and over and over, and this is going to be true every time you get a people together, unity is hard. Being a unified church is difficult. It just simply is. There's a couple reasons for that. Two, this affects everybody. This affects everybody. Two reasons that makes it really hard. Two common mindsets. One is my way is the right way slash only way. Let's talk about that for a second. If I were to ask you, where is the best place to get tacos in San Diego? Think for a second in your mind. Where is the best place to get tacos in San Diego? You got your answer? You kind of know where you're going? Like if I said, hey, I'm giving you the money after church, you go get tacos wherever? Okay, now here's the deal. Each of us has our spot. But then if I said to you, where is the best place to go get tacos in San Diego? If you're a broke college student, your answer might change. If I said, where's the best place to go get tacos in San Diego if you're going on a date night? Your answer might change. Where's the best place to go get tacos in San Diego if you have two toddlers with you? Okay, your answer's probably going to change. Now, the reason I bring this up is that when we walk into church, when we walk into any area, we have in our mind a way that we think church should go based on our own background, our own interest, our own stuff. Like, like, I want a church that works for me. Makes sense. But what the church is, is something slightly different. Let's go back to that Philippians passage, 2, starting verse 1. Once again, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness or compassion, basically, if you have any connection to Jesus whatsoever, 
Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Now look at, listen, listen to this. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. When we walk into a church, it is completely okay to say, this is what I would like to see in a church. Absolutely, totally fine. But as Jesus' followers, equally important, in fact, maybe even more important, is that we say, but what's best for the other people here? What is, so if, I'm, if we're all going out for tacos after this, I know where I want to go, TJ Oyster Bar, but what is, what's in the best, like I'm, I'm going out with somebody that has really small kids, is this the best place to go? Or we're going out with somebody who's like, hey, they're broke, I cannot pick a place that has $13 tacos, okay? You know, like I've got to be considerate of others. When we come together as the body of Christ, the th- one of the things that makes us the body of Christ together is our ability to look out for the interest of others. This is something that does not come naturally to anyone who is human. Like, from the day you are born, you look out for yourself. You know, like, if you've been around small children ever, you, you understand that, yes, they are cute, they are cuddly, they are awesome, and they are the selfish, most selfish creatures born on the face of the earth. I have a four-year-old son, I can say this, okay? Like, they, he does not naturally look out for the interest of his sister, or his mother, or his grandmother, or myself for that matter. Like, he wants to do exactly what he wants to do. This is human nature, and it is something that has to be redeemed by Christ. And so what makes unity hard for so many of us is we have to intentionally look out for each other's interests. The second mindset that makes this hard is the idea that it's me and God, and I'm going to put COVID edition on this. Here's what I mean by this. Over the last two years, there were so many weeks and so many months we could not meet together in person, and so the only way to really connect with each other was online, etc. I am not mad about that. I am not against that. We heard today, hey, online stuff works. We can pass it over to our friends, but there's a mindset that can creep in that the only way I connect to God is just me and him, me and God, through a video, and that is the full extent of my relationship with him. Now, hear me very clearly. I am not mad at anybody who watches stuff online. By all means, watch all of it, consume all the podcasts, listen to all of the messages, do all that, but don't shrink the entirety of your relationship with Jesus down to just something you consume. The relationship of, to be a part of a church is not to just simply consume content. It is to be a part of a body, to be a part of a people. This is how, um, this is how Paul says it in, the first, in his letter to the first Corinthians. He says, just as one body though has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, 
Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, each one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If we were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Translation, we need you. We need what you bring. We can't have a church just full of elbows. We can't have a church just full of feet. Whatever the uniqueness of you is, we need it to be expressed here. And so once again, when you just say, well, I just want it to be me and God or whatever, something like that, you're not only depriving yourself of the opportunity to experience what everybody else has to offer, you're depriving us of the cool uniqueness that only you can potentially bring. And it isn't together that we function best. I need two hands. I need two legs. I need two eyes. I need you because there's something you're bringing. And so part of unity is the coming together. It's really hard to be united when all we each do is just simply consume. When I'm like, yeah, I like, you know, when, when, when we walk in and we just simply evaluate. Like, yeah, that Matt's message today, I'm going to give it a seven. You know, it's pretty good. Jeremy's was a ten. But, you know, Matt's was, you know, like, you know, when we start just saying that, then I'm not contributing. You know, you know I'm much more gracious for people when I'm actually being part of what's happening versus when I'm on the sideline just critiquing and evaluating. Okay, so I think at this point I've made the, made the point fairly well. Unity is important. Unity is a struggle. How do we actually get to unity? There's a couple of ingredients. Remember who we are. Remember whose we are. Remember what's at stake. Let me say that again. Remember who we are. Remember whose we are. Remember what's at stake. Let's talk, take that first one, who we are. I love this quote by Stanley Haravos. It says this, The love that is characteristic of God's kingdom is possible only for a forgiven people, a people that have learned not to fear one another. Only when myself and my character have been formed by God's love do I know I have no reason to fear the other. The first thing that we need to remember is that we are a forgiven people. We all walked into a relationship with Jesus remembering that he forgave us, that our, he did not count our sins against us, that through Jesus we have new life. And when I can remember that I am forgiven, it makes me much easier to forgive others. It makes it much easier to not worry so much about getting my way. The other thing that I, I take from this quote is to remember that like, so much of the time, the reason we're afraid, like the reason we get disunified is we're afraid that if I don't fight for something, if I don't fight for getting my way, then it's not going to happen. And we get afraid that someone else is going to get to dictate things, someone else is going to do this. But remember, we don't have to be afraid because we are fully loved by God. God is the one that has our back. We do not have to fight for ourselves. God is the one that fights for us. And so if my attention and my focus is on loving the people around me, I, can, I don't have to worry about myself because one, as I love others, they in turn will start to love me. And two, at the end of the day, it's always going to be God who has my back anyway. Remember who you are. Second, remember whose you are. Once again, let's go back to our Philippians 2 passage. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you are united with Christ, you are His. Any comfort from His love, any common sharing in the Spirit. Luke, you can skip all the way to the end. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We belong to Jesus. 
That is who we belong to. That is who we follow. That is who we pattern our lives after. We are a forgiven people. Who do we belong to? We belong to Jesus. Three, remember what's at stake. Remember what's at stake. What is at stake when it comes to unity? Here's what Jesus said was at stake. In John chapter 17, this is what he said is at stake. My prayer is not for them alone. This is the prayer that he's giving right before he's arrested and crucified. This is the last prayer he's praying to God before things get really crazy. My prayer is not for them alone. What does he pray for? I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. What does he ask for? That all of them may be one. That all believers may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we are unified, the world takes notice and says there is something happening there. When we are divided and fight over all the different things we can divide and fight over, we look just like the world. There's, nothing spe- there's no secret sauce there. There's nothing special. It's just a group of people like, oh yeah, they fight just like everybody else. Let me get up early on daylight savings time and go be a part of that. No. You know, like, but when there's something like those people who have nothing in common, they're from different backgrounds, they're from different social standings, they, they make different levels of income, but when they get together, they love each other well. The world stands up and takes notice. Jesus prayed specifically that this would happen. We get to be the fulfillment of one of Jesus' prayers when we are united. It's crazy. Now here's the deal. Here's what I don't want you guys to do. I don't want you to walk out today and be like, united, yes, I like that idea. And then you just go about your regu- like, regular day. Unity is not a concept you agree to, it's a habit you practice. So how do we practice unity? There's a couple ways. Eat together, pray together, work together, fight the power together, worship together. All right, let me walk through those, okay? First one, eat together. It is really hard to be disunified with someone that you regularly share a meal with. It's, like, it's almost like you almost have to put your opinions down to pick up a fork and a knife, okay? Like the more I share meals with people, the more I tend to like them, the more I tend to understand them, the more I tend to have sympathy for them because you get to hear more of their story. Sharing meals together is a great way to be unified. In fact, I think maybe next week we should have a potluck together. You know what, let's do it, okay? So yeah, sharing meals together. Secondly, pray together. You want to get more unified with somebody? Spend time praying with them. Spend time hearing. Like, you ever notice, like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll admit something because I think I'm allowed to do. I get really frustrated when people are late. I just do. Like, I, I grew up in a culture where it's like, in my family at least, you showed up five minutes early and that was on time, okay? Now, I tend to carry that over to still today. You know, like, oh, you're 10 minutes late. No, actually, you're 20 minutes late. And so one of the things that I've noticed is that when I listen to someone's story, my compassion level goes way up. Like when I find out what's actually going on in their life, when I hear the struggles they're facing, I tend to be way more lenient on the late, not late. It's like, okay, like, why weren't you here on time? Well, my spouse is uh, deployed and I have three small children. And I'm like, okay, okay, say no more. You know, yeah, okay. You're actually early based on all of that, you know. 
when we hear someone's story, when we pray together with them, when we hear about the struggles they're going on, our unity increases because our compassion by default goes up. Third is to work together. When you work together, when you serve together, when you're on a team together, you get to hear more about each other and you get to like, oh, I never knew that. Uh, the other day I was meeting with someone uh, who works in our, in our uh, family ministry with kids. I was just talking to her and stuff like that. It's like, wait, you play bass? That's really cool. I never knew that. And then she's telling me about like, like she also designs her own clothes and like has a whole room dedicated. I was like, wait, I never knew any of these things about you. You're one of the coolest people I've gotten to meet. How have we, got, how have we been around each other for so long and I've not gotten to know this? You work together, you find out more about them. Finally, fight the power, or not finally, but second, fight the power together. All right, here's what I mean by that. Some of you are fighters. You are happiest when you have something to fight against, okay? Some of you like having an enemy because then that gives you all the energy to direct your anger and hatred and all that stuff towards. And so here's what I want to say to you from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against each other, okay? But against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If you are someone who needs something to fight against, there is evil in this world, and you can spend the rest of your life fighting together against it. There are we, I mean, we could all tell stories about how evil this world is. So it, like, if you're someone who's just a born natural fighter, and you're like, Jeremy, all this like, get together, like, share meals. You're like, no, I want to go fight something. Okay, get a group together, people together, and like, go fight poverty. Go fight racism. Go fight, you know, anything that you want to that's evil. There's plenty of it there. Go for it. You have my full permission. And then finally, worship together. There is something about the body of Christ coming together, lifting up our voices to God that makes us united. I was talking to a guy earlier this week, and he was like, he was asking me a little bit about our church, and, and he's like, so you guys are like, he's like, you're not, you've got multiple, he's, he, he's in the Midwest, and, and he's like, my church does not look like my community. He's like, we're, we're in a fairly diverse area, but it's like our church is not diverse at all. And I'm like, well, tell me a little bit. He's, he's asking questions. I'm like, okay, so do your, do your people have relationships outside, of, like with the people inside their community? Eh, no, not really. Like, do you guys have friendships? Okay. Do you guys ever worship together? You know, it's like, there are things that you can do that make you look more like the body of Christ. There's this quote from a guy named Ronald Rollheiser, and he says, what does it mean to be the church? And I love this because it's such a beautiful picture. He says, it is to stand shoulder to shoulder and hand in hand, precisely with people who are very different from ourselves. And with them, hear a common word, say a common creed, share a common bread, and offer a mutual forgiveness so as in that way to bridge our differences and become a common heart. Church is not about a few like-minded persons getting together for mutual support. It is about millions and millions of different kinds of persons transcending their differences so as to become a community beyond temperament, race, ideology, gender, language, and background. When we worship together, we show the world a different picture. 
we remember that what unites us is Jesus Christ. That's all I need to have unity with you. We can disagree politically. We can disagree about the best way to spend money. We can disagree about the best baseball team to cheer for. We can disagree about the best place to go get tacos in San Diego. But if we have Jesus Christ as our common ground, that's all we need. This is how Paul wrote it in that passage that we looked at. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore God exalted Christ to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We worship Jesus and together as we do, we become one people. We're gonna sing one more song, but before we sing it, I want us to actually look at the words of the song. I don't want these to just be empty words that are said. I want us to look at the meaning of them. The song starts off that we're getting ready to sing. People come together. Keep going. Strange as neighbors, our blood is one. The church is a group of people coming together. Some of us strangers, some of us neighbors, but united because the blood we have is the same. Children of generations, multiple generations. We are not a church that is just well, everybody's got to be 20 or everybody's got to be 80. Multiple generations coming together. Keep going. Of every nation of kingdom come. Why, do all this, why does all this happen? Why do we get together from every group and every patient? Keep going. Don't let your heart be troubled. Keep going. Hold your head up high. Don't fear no evil. Why? Fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. We're going to stand, we're going to sing this song together because we are different. We are from different places. We do have different stories. But in Christ, we are united. And so this week, after we sing the song and we go our separate ways, this week, find ways to pray together, to serve together. Find ways to eat together, to work together. Because as we do, the world will take notice and our lives will become richer, fuller, and more complete. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Our dearly Father, Lord, thank you for the chance to gather together with people that don't look like me, that don't have the same story as me, that don't think the same way I do, because in Christ, we have all that we need. And so, Lord, my prayer is that we would be one. My prayer is that as we go out this week, we would practice unity by caring for each other, by lifting each other up, by checking in on each other, by doing all of the things that make us a church body. And it is in your name I pray. Amen.